Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. I'm really excited about our, our speaker for today. Uh, he's, he's a, I tell you what, this guy and I have led a, a lot of parallel lives. We both serve on the board of directors of the Messianic Jewish uh, Alliance of America and the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues. Uh, it's the largest congregational organization within the Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, and in fact, Rabbi uh, Dr. Joel is a, also is the director of operations for the IAMCS, so this is kind of like the guy who uh, is the is the cowboy to rodeo all the rabbis into shape. It's hard work uh, trying to keep all the rabbis uh, basically in order, and and it's, he's just a blessing. He he supports the whole movement. He has a real pulse beat of what's going on in the whole movement because of that role. Uh, in addition to that, he's a messianic rabbi's son. Uh, his father, in fact, was one of the pioneers, is one of the pioneers of our movement. Paul Lieberman wrote the book, The Fig Tree Blossoms, started one of the first Messianic congregations. Uh, and, uh, and he uh, <clears throat> also became a, a Messianic rabbi and took over the congregation from his father, Tree of Life, uh, in San Diego, California, where he currently serves as the rabbi of uh, Tree of Life in, in California. So he's a, he's a real blessing for sure. He's a very good friend. I love this guy. I respect him. Uh, I, I love to listen to him teach. I could listen to him teach all day. He's just one of these guys who I think is really anointed, and it's just a huge blessing, and uh, also honored to have his better half uh, with us here today. His wife, Darcy, will probably introduce her, uh, but she's a blessing and an, uh, an amazing uh, dance leader in her own right uh, and worship team leader. Uh, but let's welcome Rabbi Dr. Joel Lieberman, everybody. Woo! It's great to be with the Solomons. Tiffany couldn't be here tonight, but she'll be here tomorrow. And it's just great. My wife is with me on this trip. We were booking this trip about six weeks. This is our second plane flight to the east in the last six weeks or so. And, you know, you go online and you try to, you know, book a ticket and you see this low, low ball fare, right? Frontier Airlines. And you're like, wow, it's hundreds less, but I'm just not sure they could cancel the flights. And so I just passed it up and I went with, you know, tried and true Southwest as we always do. But I realized, how many of you saw that news story today? And I would, I would have put that photo up, but I just saw it right before dinner tonight. You know, Frontier, there was a guy, a 23-year-old kid, got a little inebriated, started punching stewardesses and flight attendants. And what do they do? It's on Frontier Airlines. What do they do to subdue him? They wrap him to his seat in duct tape. This is not a great, you know, way to subdue somebody. Now I understand why the flights are so cheap on there. They couldn't even afford some handcuffs on that flight. But it's great to be here. We... We were flying in actually to Nashville, Tennessee to visit two sets of my wife's family. 
uh, one of which unfortunately got a really bad case, husband and wife of COVID. And so we uh, did what we do. We just did a drive-by with them, and we went to Walmart at 10, 11 o'clock at night to get them supplied up for the next week or so. And uh, it was pouring rain, something I've never seen at all until I fly to the East Coast. So it was quite a, quite a, uh, a trip on Wednesday for us. And uh, we were eating dinner with our in-laws, my brother and sister-in-law, and I was just schmoozing with the young baby, and I didn't see this step there in their front porch, and I, and I, I lost it, and I went flying down the steps, and I sprained my ankle, as Rabbi mentioned. And so the Lord was teaching me some things through that over the last 48 hours. It wasn't many years ago that Rabbi Kevin was staying at our house, and the same thing happened to him. He sprained his ankle, and he never lets me off the hook with that. Every time I see him, it still bothers him to this day, and so I'm praying for a total Total restoration of my ankle. Thank you for praying for me in advance on that. But how many of you brought your Bibles tonight or your iPhones, your iPads? Turn those bad boys on. It is great to be here. Boy, the world has changed. I want to welcome those of you live on the uh, stream tonight, tomorrow, wherever you're watching it throughout the week. It's great to be with you tonight. The Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan's presidential palace shocked the world less than a week ago on Sunday. Videos of you saw of desperation and chaos at the airport left governments stunned. You saw the reports of forced marriages of teenage girls to Taliban soldiers raised, of course, alarms with human rights groups and women's rights groups. Blame echoed around the power centers of Washington this week. The rapid Taliban reconquest, uh, reconquest of Afghanistan was complete in just over one week. Reports say the regime will soon announce the restoration of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, the formal name of the country under previous Taliban rule, which ruled under a harsh interpretation of Islamic Sharia law. Interesting quote from Hamas said, quote, we congratulate the Taliban movement and its brave leadership on this victory, declared Iranian-backed Hamas. As you know, the terror organization that took over Gaza in 2007. A couple of quick talking points, then we're going to open up the Word of God tonight. If you're out there in the world sharing with people on this issue, number one, a unilateral withdrawal from conflict areas creates safe havens for terrorists, right? The USSR's 1989 Afghanistan pullout set the stage for the Taliban to first seize control. They allowed al-Qaeda to establish training camps, which were then, of course, used to plan the 9-11 attacks in this country. Point number two, the Taliban, al-Qaeda, and Hamas are ideologically similar and connected. Al-Qaeda, another Sunni terror group, could exploit the Taliban takeover to make a comeback. One former U.S. official said this, quote, jihadist terror in Afghanistan will not stay in Afghanistan. Point number three, the Taliban's return is potentially, it's realistically catastrophic for women in Afghanistan. We've already seen it between 1996 and 2001 when the Taliban first ruled there. The terror organization imposed, as you know, strict rules on women. They were unable to work. They were forbidden to leave their homes without full body coverings and a male escort. Couldn't contact any other men outside of their blood relatives. Girls were not permitted to attend school. Punishment for disobeying these laws range from beatings all the way to executions. And during the last 20 years, though, we've seen women in Afghanistan make tremendous, huge progress. 22% of the workforce in Afghanistan is female. 39% of the country's students are female. 
And although Taliban spokespeople insist women's rights are going to be preserved, there are reports across the country, and we've seen it this week, of gunmen escorting female employees from their jobs, forcibly marrying female teenagers, burning at least one school, and lashing women for wearing, quote, revealing sandals. Finally, point number four, when you're out there sharing about these things in your world, Afghanistan's collapse emboldens China, Russia, and Iran. What a week we've had, my friends. And what is the Ruach, what is the Spirit saying to Messiah's communities? I've always loved the words of David concerning Adonai in Psalm chapter 13. If you want to go over there quickly, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? No, I listened to the message last week. I'm not going to repeat that. It was a great word, Rabbi Kevin, by the way. But it's in Psalm 13. I mean, he must have said it around a thousand times in that message. You get the point. We all feel like that. But the last verse of that chapter, I love it, says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, one of these areas of his bounty is his gift of Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to focus on this evening, this morning, whenever you're watching. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. We're going to hear this biblical refrain three times from the book of Revelation. Now, the writer of Revelation, by the way, was a Messianic Jew. Do you know that? Yochanan, right? The book is very Jewish. In fact, the Jewish Encyclopedia agrees in its article on the book of Revelation where it reads this, quote, The whole apocalypse is in every part and feature thoroughly Jewish in spirit and conception. It presents the development of the whole eschatological drama according to the Jewish view. It is Hebrew in composition and style and bears traces of having originally been written in Hebrew. Written in Hebrew? How can that be known? Well, the article goes on to say that it uses certain Hebrew phrases and expressions which are awkward when translated into Greek. Yochanan likely could have translated Revelation into Greek himself since he was probably fluent in Greek as a secondary language apart from his mother tongue Hebrew, but the Greek version was widely disseminated in the Roman Empire. And so in this, what we could call the final chapter Concerning the story of salvation, Adonai pulls back the curtain to give his redeemed people a glimpse of his plan for human history, a plan that centers around the Messiah, Yeshua. It's not the future that is revealed in the book of Revelation as much as it is the Messiah, Yeshua, being revealed. We know that Revelation is a single prophetic, and apocalyptic book meant to be circulated among the seven specific Yeshua communities in Asia Minor. And the words to these communities in chapters 2 and 3 are messages that introduce the rest of the book, right? And I believe that there are two fulfillments of these messages to the Messianic communities. The first fulfillment pertained to those actual seven communities and their assemblies, Chapter 1, verse 19, terms it what is. And the second fulfillment in that same verse, chapter 1, verse 19, the second part, says what will happen after occurs on all of the communities and all of the assemblies in the last days before the return of the Messiah. In other words, 
These messages, from my perspective, have an application wider and a wider application beyond those seven Asia Minor Yeshua communities, since everyone who will hear is told to pay attention to these messages given to those seven. Now, of course, these seven communities were located in the Roman province of Asia Minor in the area today of modern-day Turkey, uh, actually within traveling distance of Eretz Yisrael. Many of Yeshua's Talmudim's disciples of those communities were Jewish, there was a large Jewish community, actually, emanating out from the land of Israel. And these seven communities are listed in the natural traveling order of the circuit needed to distribute the letter to them. And so once a letter would arrive at a given community, it was then dispersed out to the various kehilot, congregations. And each of these original seven communities that served as a publication point for the message until it finally the message reaches out well beyond these original seven communities. These seven Yeshua communities in Asia Minor actually are given something. They're actually represented by something, rather. There are seven golden minorot in chapter one, candlesticks. What is a menorah for? A menorah is, gives off light, doesn't it? The menorah is not the light. The light comes from the oil, right? Ruch Kodesh is the oil which produces the light. The Lord Yeshua HaMashiach is the light of the world, but the menorah reflects the light. And thus the purpose of a kehilah, a congregation, a Bethalel, a tree of life, a menorah, is to shine forth the light of Messiah, Right? Amen? So as we open tonight the book of Revelation, we see the resurrected and exalted Yeshua, the Messiah Yeshua, coming as Kohen Gadol, as high priest. He's walking in the midst of the menorot, of the kehilot, of the congregations. He's tending to them. He's having authority over them. He's protecting them, and he's also judging them as well. Notice that when the Messiah comes as the Kohen Gadol to judge the seven Yeshua communities, that judgment is not necessarily negative. That is what the scriptures talk about when it speaks of righteous judgment. This is what's happening here. Yeshua is challenging these congregations to improve in some specific area. We only have time to look at a few of these messages tonight of these congregations. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. These various Yeshua communities in western Turkey are non-existent today. The entire nation has become Islamic. But there's still 17,000 Jewish people who reside there, some of whose ancestors have actually been in Turkey since ancient times. There's a very small population as well of non-Jewish believers, mostly Armenian, there as well. And so followers of Yeshua today, you can still go on a pilgrimage to visit these seven communities. The only thing to be seen though, there are ruins many centuries old. So let's take a trip to the city of Sardis for a few minutes. Guys, if you can uh, pop up that map, if it's not already up there, you can take a look at Sardis and we'll begin with chapter three. Let's begin reading in verse one. To the angel of Messiah's community in Sardis, right? Thus says the one having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up 
and strengthen what remains that was about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But still you have a few people in Sardis who have not stained their clothes. They will walk with me in white because they are worthy. The one who overcomes thus will be dressed in white clothes. I will never blot his name out of the book of life and will confess his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. Now, Sardis was a city of great wealth and great fame. It was actually an acropolis. That is, it was a fortified city on a high hill, 1,500 feet above the valley below. Sardis is captured twice in its history in the 6th century BC and the 3rd century BC by Antiochus and Cyrus. Hundreds of years before Yeshua appears here on the scene, details that watchmen on its walls in Sardis failed to detect an enemy army sneaking up, supposedly sneaking up its impregnable walls and its cliffs. And this became here a cautionary tale to Yeshua here of misguided complacency and lack of vigilance. And so the Yeshua following community here at Sardis was similarly asleep and for the most part, severely backslidden. Yeshua prescribes a prescription here for the only possible cure. And it's not ivermectin, by the way. It is spiritual revival. I want to make some applications that I see from these verses. Number one, some kehilot, some congregations are dead and others are alive. According to recent statistics, there are about 350,000 Yeshua-believing communities in America. And 85% of those are either stagnant or declining. Each year, about 7,000 kehilot close their doors. In the same 12-month period, about 4,000 new kehilot are started. So what does that mean? We're losing about 3,000 congregations every year. Now, some would say that America's congregations are dying because of the enemy, and they'd be right. But in a war, an enemy can only make progress, can only win battles, if its opponents are putting up wrong defenses, but more importantly, also employing wrong offenses. This can only happen, my friends, if one of two things are true. Number one, the offensive or defensive strategies put forth by the general are flawed. Or, number two, the general's officers are not leading the soldiers to employ his strongly effective offensive and defensive strategies. In this analogy, if Adonai is the general, those like Rabbi Kevin and others here in full-time service to God are the officers and the congregational members are the soldiers. Are Adonai's proper offenses and defenses weaker than the enemy's? Of course not. Well, then the only remaining option is that this congregation dying problem is the fault of congregational leaders. As the opponents to the enemy, 
what are congregationally, what are we doing wrong? What proper offensive and defensive strategies are they and we ignoring and not employing? More importantly, what improper defenses and offenses have they and we bought into and relied on to cause this? Who sold and continues to sell them and us these improper strategies? When Yeshua was found in the temple grounds near the festival of Passover, he told the cattle, sheep, and pigeon sellers, get these things out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? My friends, this dying started many decades ago or more. So let's be honest with ourselves and take a real hard look at the body of Messiah. I want to declare something crazy to you tonight. Some congregations today probably need to die. And that might include some Messianic Jewish synagogues. Actually, the kindest thing you can do for a corpse is to bury it, isn't it? How many of you really know the difference between a live congregation and a dead one? Live congregations are full of people with open scriptures. But dead congregations are full of people with closed minds. Live kehilot generously support outside ministries doing the work of Yeshua around the world. Dead congregations spend it on themselves. It was so great to see those in our nation this week, actually over a 48-hour period, Glenn Beck called to get these 5,000 or so Christians out of Afghanistan and through his humanitarian organization, I think it's called Nazareth Project or something like that, raised $22.3 million in 48 hours from the people of this country. Live congregations see the possibilities. Dead congregations just see the problems. Live kehilot plan for the future. Dead kehilot live in the past. Live kehilot are prone to asking, what does God want? Dead congregations are prone to asking or replying in response, how much is it going to cost? Live kehilot are lighthouses to their community, while dead congregations are a 20-watt refrigerator bulb with the door shut. Now, this is not to condemn any of our messianic synagogues here tonight, but to challenge our effectiveness in remaining true to our mission, remaining true to our vision, where Adonai has placed us as lighthouses in our various cities, in our various towns. Well, much as ancient Israel became complacent in the good times, we see a similar spiritual complacency among the Yeshua followers here in Sardis. They were spiritually backslidden, and perhaps they didn't even realize it. You see, becoming backslidden, we know this, is such a gradual thing, isn't it? That most who become backslidden are ignorant of their condition. It's analogous to the classic example of putting that frog in hot water, right? Take a frog, stick it in hot water, frog jumps out right away, right? You take that same frog, stick it in a pan, room temperature water, frog comfortably settles in. And then you heat the pan gradually. The frog doesn't notice the temperature being 
very dangerously high, and so the frog slowly gets cooked. The Shaliach Yaakov, Jacob, James, wrote some strong words concerning those with dead faith. Quote, do you want to be shown that such faith apart from actions is barren? Wasn't Avraham Avinu declared righteous because of actions when he offered up his son Yitzchak on the altar? Likewise, wasn't Rachav the prostitute also declared righteous because of actions when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another route? Indeed, just as the body without a spirit is dead, so too faith without actions is dead. A dead faith just likes to talk. But a living faith does something, doesn't it? Yaakov gives us here two totally different people as examples of what is a living faith. Abraham and Rahab. When Abraham willingly offered his son Yitzchak to the Lord, then God gave him the status of having a living faith. Rahab risks her life by hiding and helping the Jewish spies at Yercho. The trait Avraham and Rachag shared was that they did something about their faith. So how do you and I develop a faith, a living faith that works? Well, number one, we've got to accept the few things. We've got to accept that we'll never have a perfect faith. Only a perfect Messiah. We're all going to make mistakes. Just like the first followers of Yeshua and the followers here at Sardis made mistakes, Yeshua didn't reject them. He just encouraged them, move on to maturity, didn't he? You see, if you and I are trying to be perfect, we're going to be constantly frustrated because only Yeshua is perfect. My wife was driving here from Nashville yesterday, and to me it was like torrential downpours. It's probably a light shower for most of you here, but for me, it was like a torrential, and I was trying to be in control, and, you know, she didn't drive perfectly, and we had some aggressive communication. I wasn't driving. We're not perfect, but we have a perfect Messiah. We're all works in progress, amen? Adonai does not expect perfection from us. He wants us to have a love, he wants to have a love relationship with us. Number two, developing living faith that works. Choose to be among the faithful few rather than part of the crowd. Look with me back again in verse four. Yeshua mentioned there were still a few there in Sardis who were faithful. We are to be those faithful few whose names are inscribed in Sefer HaChaim, the book of life. And finally, number three, if we want to develop a living faith that works, live every single day looking for the return of Yeshua. We're one day closer than we were Thursday to his second coming. Yeshua promises the true followers of Yeshua at Sardis the conqueror's reward, fellowship with himself, and the white clothing of victory. Well, let's continue on our journey in this circuit route to the city of Philadelphia for a few minutes. Look with me, verse 7, to the angel of Messiah's community in Philadelphia, write, Thus says the Holy One, the true one, who is the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your deeds. Behold, I've set before you an open door that no one is able to shut, because you have little power, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jewish and are not, hello, 
Oh my goodness. But lie, behold, I will cause them to come and bow down before your feet so that they acknowledge that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never leave it. And on him, I will write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to Messiah's communities. Philadelphia is a Greek word meaning what? Brotherly shove. I spent a year living in Philadelphia in Overbrook Park, West Philly, and it was brotherly shove, brotherly love. But the city actually lies near a fertile valley. Inscriptions from there mention worship of Zeus. Of all the seven Yeshua-following communities, though, even though that was the culture, this is the only one of the seven that does not receive a rebuke from Yeshua as it was in a healthy condition. So let's see why it was in a healthy condition. Let's see why these guys were so great. We see the picture of the Messiah here. This is a picture of the Messiah in these verses, verses 7 through 13. And we have to kind of bring some context to what Yeshua is saying here. We know in the Tanakh, we find there was a time when some of the Kohanim, the priests, actually stole from the temple treasury. King David got furious about it. So he calls out one of his most trusted men in his army, Elkanah. He gave, him the, he gave him the one key to the temple treasury. And David said, I give you this key, and you're the only one to open it when I tell you to open it, and you alone close it when I tell you to close it. And so Yeshua, as the promised messianic offspring of King David, has the key of David. He will someday resume the monarchy of King David. Yeshua opens from heaven all the riches Adonai can give to those who commit themselves to him. Yeshua not only has the key, my friends, he is the key. He's the key to salvation. He's the key to understanding these scriptures. I'm reminded of what took place, and so are you, when Yeshua told the story of the ten virgin maidens. Remember the, the story, five were foolish and five were wise in terms of their lamp preparation. Matthew chapter 25, the, the five ones you recall uh, are a picture of those people who are at the second coming of Yeshua, the wise ones. They really possessed what they professed. They, had, they have oil in their lamp signifying Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. But when the bridegroom came, you recall from that chapter, only five of them could actually light their lamps, right, at that time, and could then go in and enter the wedding feast. The bridegroom shuts the door, the other five pound on the door, and said, let us in, let us in. And he said, no, I've shut the door, and it cannot be opened. Ladies and gentlemen, there will come a time when the door of salvation is going to be shut, and no man can open it. We see in Philadelphia here the provision for their service. God opens doors for individuals, and he opens doors for congregations, doesn't he? We were planning on opening up uh, at Shavuot last year, May of 2020, I guess it was. And, 
And I was so looking forward to it. It had been, what, like 10 weeks since I was shooting sermons from my office with my wife on the other side of an iPhone, making some faces. It was hard for me to preach. You know, remember those days, guys? And the congregation that was leasing to us called me and said, you know what, we're going to open on Father's Day. We just can't let you back on the property. We're no longer going to lease to you. You know, we had leased there for about six, seven years. We had such a great relationship. New pastor came in, didn't quite understand who we were. I knew day one when the Israeli flag came down the property, we were in trouble, but just kind of put it at the back of my mind. And so I said, we're opening up on Shavuot. The governor said, you can have 10 people, and we're going to do this on a tier system. And we said, this is getting old fast. We're losing momentum. We've got to open up. I called a congregant who had a huge property outside. We started having services. And then we get this 48-hour notice to move. 48 hours. And the Lord opened up a door. And within 48 hours, we had a new place. In a situation where I wasn't sure because now I'm in a, I'm in a retail mall. I'm across from an, a regal movie theater. And there's a lot of traffic coming by here in the worship and praise. And it was an open door into something I never even thought about. Marketplace ministry right out there, right in the middle of everything. Well, that lasted for a few months. And then the mall said, we have a larger space for you at a former burnt out Fuddruckers restaurant that went under during COVID. You want that? We'll, we'll drop the price. Yeah, let's do that. I walked in there. I said, man, this place stinks. There's no way we're going to be able to convert this to a synagogue. But we did. Lord wants to open doors for congregations. But let's talk about individuals first. God has a specific plan and purpose for your life, for our lives. One of the ways that we can discern what that plan and purpose is as we go through our lives is that we always are finding we have a series of doors. Here's the problem. There's not just one door presented, is there? There's always several doors presented. Sometimes there are. And the question we face is, which door, Lord, do we walk through? If we're walking in the flow of the Spirit of Messiah, he'll be directing us through the right door. So what door are you standing before that's standing before you today? Is it in terms of your ministry? Maybe it's in terms of your job or your vocation? Is it in terms of a very important choice that you need to make? Yeshua will open a door for you if you look for it. And likewise, Yeshua always, always opens doors for your congregation. Look for those doors. Look for those doors in this community. And finally, Yeshua praises them for their strength. He praises them for their perseverance. He says, you've kept my word. You see, these Yeshua followers in Philadelphia were weak, yet Yeshua says they're holding fast to his word. They knew the word of God and they kept the word of God. And it says, the Bible tells us here that even though they only had a, a little bit of power, a little bit of strength, they didn't give up. I love that song we sang about, man, we are in a fierce battle, are we not? But this too shall pass if we don't give up. I want you to think about that phrase for a moment, little power, little strength. I think one of the problems some of us have is that we have too much power for God to use us. When Shaul was talking about a thorn in the flesh in his second letter 
to the Corinthians, he writes, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I pleaded with the Lord about this three times that it might leave me, but he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for koach, for power, is made perfect in weakness. So I sprained my ankle Wednesday night, right? And I'm making a good show of it with my family. We're taking selfies, but I'm, I'm in pain, man. But I'm smiling about it. And we go to Walmart and I'm really feeling, man, it's hurting. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm just, I can't walk. And I see like this cart that they have at Walmart. My wife's like, hey, get in that thing. I said, I'm not getting in that thing. And I, so I just, just kept walking with this thing dragging. It's crazy. Lord sometimes has to humble us, to teach us. We might not have as much power as we think we have. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. It's only when we recognize that we only have a little bitty amount of power that his power then can flow through us. There are some followers of Yeshua who have so much money, so much intelligence, so much natural ability that they don't really feel like they need Adonai's power. They have everything handled. Thank you very much. On the other hand, there might be some even here tonight who are thinking, I don't have much power. Rabbi Joel, I'm just barely hanging on. Sometimes I don't think I'm even making it through the day. And my response is, Good for you because if you have just little power, Adonai will bless you and accompany that power with perseverance. And that's what these guys were hanging on to here in Sardis, their perseverance. And he says something about their profession. He says, you haven't denied my name. You recall historically every single year, citizens of the Roman Empire were called upon to burn incense and publicly say, Caesar is Lord. In order to be hired for a job, in order to be part of an occupational, vocational guild, their version of a trade union. But these followers of Yeshua in Philadelphia said, we are not going to do that. We are not going to say Caesar is Lord. We're not going to say Newsom is king over California either. <laughs> Have you ever been guilty of denying the name of Yeshua? When you go to school or to your job or you're around some of your friends who are not followers of Yeshua yet, have you been guilty of denying that you even know Yeshua by your activity and the things that you say? These Yeshua followers in Philadelphia were commended for not denying Yeshua. Let's be like them. Let's look at our final community of Messiah Yeshua as we journey to the city of Laodicea. Pick it up with me in verse 14. To the angel of Messiah's community in Laodicea write, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have made myself wealthy and I need nothing. 
but you did not know that you are miserable and pitiable and, and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me, Yeshua says, gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white clothes, buy white clothes so that you may dress yourself and so the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And buy from me, I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. Oh, don't you love that verse? Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear with the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. The word actually, Laodicea, means people ruling or the authority of the people. This is the name of a city formerly known as Diospolis. There are other biblical references in the scriptures regarding the Laodiceans. Shaul, Paul worked hard for this community. You remember in the letter to the Colossians. He was very concerned about these guys' spiritual condition. Laodicea, as you know, was famous for its worship of Zeus as well. He even writes them a letter, Colossians 4.16 says, but perhaps the fact that his letter is now lost is a sign of how little good it did them. Apparently, the efforts of Shaul didn't bear as much fruit as the efforts in other communities because decades later, this is the only Yeshua community for which Yochanan has no good news to write. Now, it's interesting that the waters in Laodicea nearby the nearby Lycus River in Laodicea, there were muddy waters. There were undrinkable waters. And so the waters flowing by aqueduct from hot springs five miles away into Laodicea were lukewarm by the time they reached Laodicea. And likewise, Yeshua found his congregation's tepid indifference at Laodicea repugnant. This is the tragedy of what we could call a lukewarm faith. What is our spiritual condition? If we could stick a spiritual thermometer into our heart, what would it read? Cold? Boiling hot? Or would it be somewhere in between? Let's look at this condition here in Laodicea and the cure for it. The condition of it is we see is they're neutral and they're nauseating. When you compare this congregation at Laodicea to many modern congregations today, Laodicea actually looks pretty good by comparison, in my opinion. They weren't cold, as in the case of many congregations today. If it were actually cold in Laodicea, I don't think Yeshua would have been the least bit interested in writing a letter to them. After all, Yeshua isn't actually invited into these modern cold congregations, except perhaps as a cultural tradition. Many of today's liberal congregations don't believe in the virgin birth of Yeshua. They don't believe in his deity. They don't believe in his atoning sacrifice. They don't even believe in his resurrection. And I'm sure that the Kehillah at Laodicea believed all of those things. However, it apparently didn't affect their lives that much. Today, like at ancient Laodicea, there are many congregations which place a tremendous emphasis on what one believes, yet the things that one actually does seem to matter far less 
There is a disconnect between belief and action. And so Yeshua's strong words of judgment here are meant to jar these Laodiceans from out of their complacency so that they will make teshuvah. They will repent and recognize their false claim. It was a false claim of spiritual well-being. I'm rich, I need nothing. My friends, a lukewarm follower of Yeshua is neutral spiritually. They don't get upset about much of anything. They refuse to take stands on moral issues. We've started this thing in our congregation. Our city has 40 days for life, and they run it like three times a year. And we are out there at abortion clinics praying, talking to workers, talking to people with appointments. We want to jar ourselves out of our malaise spiritually when the answer to these issues are very clear in the scriptures. Finally, when Yeshua says, I will spew them out of my mouth, he's not talking about something that's so distasteful to him that he spits out of his mouth. He's actually, this is what he's actually saying. He's saying, lukewarm believers make me sick to my stomach. He says, it makes me nauseous and causes me to throw up. But there's a cure for this, my friends. The restoration of spiritual values, spiritual vision, and vitality. Let's talk about those three quickly as we move past third base in this message. First, Yeshua said, I want you to restore your spiritual value system. Look with me, verse 18 again. Yeshua says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. They had plenty of gold. The kind that you use for money. They had plenty of that. But Yeshua says, I want you to get my kind of gold. A person's soul is the most valuable thing in the kingdom of God. Because Yeshua said this, remember? For what does a profit a man than to gain the whole world? Yet what? Forfeit his soul. He says, take my gold. Put on my white robe of righteousness. Because Laodicea, again, context is key. Laodicea was the center of financial affairs in Asia Minor. They housed a gold exchange. And this is where they manufactured linen that was sent around the world. Now you understand when he's talking about buy my gold, buy my garments. Secondly, Yeshua says, I want to restore your spiritual vision. The scriptures show us that the closer we get to Yeshua, the more we become like him, the more we can see things the way that he sees them. I think we've all seen this in the last 18 months. And then Yeshua says, you get my eye salve and anoint your eyes. Again, context is key. Laodicea had a famous medical college where they produced eye salve that was exported around the world. Yeshua can heal not only the physically blind, and we pray for that, yes, Lord, but also he heals the spiritually blind. But we must first admit something that we cannot see. And finally, Yeshua says, I want to restore to you spiritual vitality. Despite all the words of rebuke, Yeshua still loves these errant Laodiceans. Proverbs 3.12 and Hebrews chapter 12 tell us Adonai disciplines his own children whom he loves, right? Two stages to that though. First he rebukes and then he humbles. And maybe there was a time when we were white hot for Yeshua, but through the years, for whatever reason, We've become cold. He wants us 
I truly believe it, to get stirred up again. He wants us to be boiling hot for him again. At the same time, Revelation 3.20, look at verse 20. He's talking to a congregation. The primary application of Yeshua, he's talking to a lukewarm congregation who has shut Yeshua out. Notice that Yeshua doesn't barge in. He doesn't bang on the door like a homeless transient seeking shelter, but he's the master of the house. He's courteously standing there knocking, expecting alert servants to respond immediately to his signal and welcome his entrance. He doesn't force his way into people's hearts. Either those of disciples who have turned away from him like the Laodiceans or those of non-believers who have not yet received him. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come forward tonight. On the other hand, he doesn't stand silently and unlike most guests, Yeshua is the one providing the food. Yeshua is the one who's providing the spiritual nourishment that gives the strength needed for exerting ourselves to take the more difficult steps of shuva, of repentance. We're in the month of Elul, folks. This is the time for that. Let's continue to invite Yeshua in, not only to our personal lives, if you would stand with me, but let's invite him into our Messianic Jewish communities every single Shabbat and every day in the middle of the week too. Every day of the week. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to Messiah's communities. Lord, I pray for this Kehillah here, Congregation Beth Hallel. A candlestick of witness in the metro Atlanta area. Lord, they've undergone challenges, difficult challenges, but they've persevered. They have professed and have not denied your name. So, Lord, I am asking you, as every member here has been, to do something brand new as we lean into the high holy days. Lord, we're looking for breakthroughs, spiritual vitality to be released in this congregation that would flow out into the community here in Roswell. That, Lord, we would be able to look through new eyes for the harvest here in Roswell in other parts of metro Atlanta, oh God. There are tens of thousands of Jewish people that need to hear about the gracious, loving, good news of Yeshua. Otherwise, they're going to Gehenna. We know this is true, Lord. And so, Lord, may you use Beth Hillel as they gear up logistically, Lord, for the high holy days. May they experience spiritual revival and, re and vitality in the days to come. We're listening, oh God. We have an ear to hear tonight. Lord, some things that have happened over the last 18 months have been difficult, but they've been opportunities. More have heard over the interwebs about Congregation Beth Hillel than probably at any other time in their history, which has been glorious. And so we ask those online, I want to be bold here tonight, come back to the house of God during these high holy days. It's not about fighting with your brother or sister and what you believe in mass. No, it's not about that. Come back to the house of God. I love every one of you watching online. But you know what? It's like a campfire. You've you got to be in the house to get the warmth of the fire. Come back to the house of the Lord.
I walked in here, man, they are being safety. The protocols here are beyond what most people are doing. They've taken the proper precautions. Come back to the house of the Lord. Be that congregation of Philadelphia here in Roswell. Not denying his word. Persevering to the end. Because you know what the end game is, folks? All Israel shall be saved. And you want to be a part of that. And I want to be a part of that. And so I want to ask you to extend your hands toward Rabbi Kevin. Because he has got a lot on his plate. Frankly, folks, you have no idea what it takes. You know, it'd be great if we could be in our offices 10, 15 hours a week preparing messages. But now, what are we doing? We're contact tracing. Lord, it's a great day. We only had 20% of the congregation in quarantine this week. That's not our calling. It's to be in the Word of God. And we're going to get there. But it's going to take some courage. It's going to take some faith. Because this community is going to do some great things in the kingdom of God here in this city. Twelve disciples turned Jerusalem upside down. We've got more than twelve here tonight. Much more. Hundreds watching on the interwebs. Put your hand to the plow at Bethlehem. It's good ground. God's going to do a mighty thing. Do you believe that? Say amen. Shalom, everybody. So, Lord, yes, we lift up Rabbi Kevin to you right now. Lord. We thank you and praise you for him and his leadership. A stalwart in the Messianic Jewish body around the world. Lord, you've anointed him and you've appointed him for such a time as this to see a community through the most difficult thing we have seen in a generation or two. So, Lord, I ask that he would be able to see what your eyes see, to see the harvest, to see hundreds of cars coming through that lot, that driveway, to see the signs, welcome back. You're welcome here. Thank you for being here. And to feel like they are at home when they drive onto this property because their date with destiny awaits, that this will be the day that they accept Yeshua for the first time in their lives. May they see many salvations during these high holy days. We bind the spirit of this evil virus in Yeshua's name. We thank you for Yuri who has come off a ventilator. May he be a first fruits of resurrection from the dead, Lord God. We bind it. We break it, oh God. We thank you, Lord, that we're having an impact even through this difficult time. You're changing our filters about what is success. We're still open. We're successful, Lord. We've not closed like 7,000 others have closed. Because you have a purpose for us. You have a ministry for us. The house of Israel needs to hear your word. The whole universe is centered around the restoration of Israel. Thus, should I be so bold to say that the whole city of Atlanta, Georgia, is revolving around this congregation and many others like it in this city and in its environs because it's all about the restoration of Israel. There's coming a day when Israel's going to say, even in the city, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they need solid leaders at the charge. They need the generals. They need the officers. They need the soldiers. Be one of those. Be a good soldier in the army of our God. You have a rabbi who is a leader of leaders. You don't see him in the meetings that I see him in. His latter years are going to be much greater than his former. 
There's going to be a deepening in his understanding of the word of God and he's going to be proclaiming deeper meat. Can you receive it? You've got to be in your scriptures to receive it because when God starts pouring out deep, you've got to be in your word. You've got to be prayed up. You've got to take that prayer walk around next week whenever that's happening and you've got to take that seriously, man, because prayer is, is key. Prayer and action. I'm so excited every time I come here because I see what the Lord I see this place packed to the gills. And it's not just a crazy vision. It's because the word of God says it. Joel chapter 2 was quoted in Acts 2. That was early raindrops of the revival, folks. So I want you to do me a favor this week. I want you to pray on these things. I want you to reach out to people maybe you haven't seen here in a year and a half and begin to talk the vision of God into their life. Don't talk about the stuff you see on Facebook and friend pile and all that stuff. Kevin said it last week. Shut that stuff down, man. It's not the truth. This is the truth. Greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. Yeshua went about healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. We take authority over these things over malaise, over complacency, over a spirit of tiredness. We bless you out of Zion tonight. It's 10 o'clock straight up on Erev Shabbat. It's been a blessing to be with you. Thank you for being in attention tonight. I know it's tough. We're all kind of under a PTSD of sorts, haven't we? We've, we've, we've just seen some stuff in our families. It's been tough, man. I'm not denying that. And I am overstepping, and I'm going to close it up right now. Thank you, Rabbi, for having me tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethel family, please visit our website at www.bethalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L.org. Or call 770-641-641. 3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and Shalom. Nine, 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 nine.